listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. everyone. I'm Danielle Vega. I'm an actress best known for my work on Barney and Friends and Hulu's East Los High. And right now I'm really excited about being a mom and taking advantage of spending time with my three-year-old. <laughs> wow. Danielle Vega, welcome to the Make It Podcast. Yay. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Anytime. I'm super excited uh, to have this conversation and just to let the audience a little bit uh, more inside and, and, and in the know on, on who you are and what your history has been. I'm going to read a little bit from your bio. Of okay. course, this is from the Internet. So as I always say, feel free to jump in or at the end, tell me something that needs to be corrected because the Internet is not always truth. Uh, and so I will read from it here. Uh Danielle is a talented singer and dancer and actress. She studied under the direction of Debbie Allen in various forms of dance and also had the privilege of starring in Allen's musical stage production of Pepito's Story. Danielle was exposed to the world of television and film at the age of nine when she was cast as a series regular on the children's television show Barney and Friends. Mm -hmm. Her other television credits include the Hulu original series East Lost High, directed by Carlos Portugal, in which she plays young mother Ceci Camayo. Mm. Danielle also starred in the independent feature So This Is Christmas alongside Vivica Fox or Vivica A. Fox and Eric Roberts. She was nominated as Best Lead Actress in the Red Dirt International Film Festival in 2014 for her work in the short film Hana. Mm-hmm. as well as Daytime Emmy Award for Outstanding Performer in a New Approaches Drama Series in 2015 for her work as the aforementioned Ceci Camayo in Hulu's East Los High. Danielle can be seen in the five standing seasons of East Los High on Hulu. Yeah. So <laughs> a very, very rich history indeed. And I want to start here where your acting uh, started there in the bio. Mm -hmm. Uh, My understanding is your mom responded to a newspaper ad to get you that (laughs) role on on Barney and Friends. Uh, (laughs) And and it's funny how things happen because so much of it is uh, time and place. And we talk about luck being this combination of preparation meets opportunity. So. What were you doing before that newspaper ad that was on the opportunity side of getting this role or I'm sorry, on the preparation side of getting this role? So I, I'm born, uh, I was born in Georgia and we relocated to Texas when I was about five years old. Um, and I've always been pretty just active. So my mom, I was fortunate enough to where my mom would just plug me into anything that that I expressed interest in. Um, And one of those things was acting. So we found an acting class. Um, The studio was called Young Actor Studio in Irving, Texas. And I had been studying there for roughly two years, um, starting uh, at the age of eight, seven or eight. And um, the one of my acting coaches actually was the guy in the Barney suit. So he was already on the Barney show and everyone at the studio was aware because, you know, they had framed articles uh, throughout the studio, just, you know, with, with him in the suit and out of the suit and all kinds of stuff. Um, But his name is David Joyner. And when you know, during that time, most of the auditions, I didn't have an agent at the time. And Mm -hmm. so you would get notices there at the studio or, you know, they still had, um, 
uh, auditions, open calls listed in the local newspaper. Uh, so my mom would get those and she would keep an eye out for, you know, anything that, that was available that, you know, I, I fit the specs, the specs for, and they were casting for a children's series. They didn't say what it was. And the auditions were being held at another local studio in the area, uh, more so in Dallas called Katie studios. And it was like a cattle call. I, you know, I, I remember waiting outside for, you know, a very long time. I'm sure it was probably only maybe 30 minutes, but of course to an, a nine-year-old, it was, it felt like forever. <laughs> um, and I, I went through at least, at least four auditions, uh, you know, between the initial call, um, cattle call, and then, you know, multiple callbacks, uh, before I ultimately, you know, received the phone call saying, we want you to be a part of the show. Um, so it was, it was a fun process at least, you know, and I think they have to make it that way for kids. Um, but I definitely felt like I, I would not have been prepared for that opportunity had I not been in class, had I not, you know, had, had, you know, you can chop it up to that, that child, not a child mentality, but you know, that, that, child perspective where everything is just fun at that point and you're not putting any pressure on yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that's class. I was, I was taking class at at young actor studio before, um, we received that opportunity. (laughs) So many times you hear about, and this is across the, the, the gamut of entertainment. You hear about, um, a child in a show or a child in a beauty pageant or a child in a sport. And so much of that is driven by the parents. Right. And it's hard to delineate whether the parents want it for the kid more than the kid wants it for themselves. So I guess my question to you is, is was there a moment before that where that you can remember where you said, this is what I meant to do. I really want to do this. Or, or, or do you feel like, it was it was more of that um, my mom and my parents and my family got me into this and then I fell in love with it. Oh, no, no. It was definitely something that I had always expressed interest in. I was the type of kid that, you know, was constantly I mean, I, I had a huge imagination. <laughs> so constantly <laughs> making up stories, putting on, you know, just I don't know if you could consider them plays, but, you know, just constantly acting things out. I would watch movies over and over and over again and just always express to my mom, like, I want to I want to be on on television. I want to be that kid. I can do that. Um, I loved performing and I loved, you know, I was I was okay with meeting people and not fearful of, you know, just being myself in front of people. And I think that that was something that my mom just knew that she had to hone in on. Um, but ever since I was little, anytime anyone would ask me like, Danny, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would always say an actress, a singer and a lawyer. Um, <laughs> and then realize that, yeah, well, I'll just be a real life Ally McBeal or something. But, um, yeah, it was something that I always showed express, uh, showed an interest in. And my, I think my mom just, you know, just, ran with it thinking that, all right, well, she's good at this and she wants to do it. So I'll make sure that she has the opportunities that she needs, uh, to fulfill that. A lawyer. What, what made you want to be a lawyer at a young age? I think the only thing that I was really thinking about, to be honest, because I have no interest in going to law school now. But the only thing was just that it was, you know, you, you hear these things growing up where it's like, okay, yeah, you, you can act, but it's a, it's a long, hard road. So you need to have something to fall back on. And that was going to be my plan B, the, the job that I could depend on, you know, to have an income. Um, so that, that was really it. And then, you know, just superficially just, well, I really like arguing. So, um, but yeah, I, I ended up going to college and getting my degree in broadcast journalism. Um, 
thinking that, you know, journalism was, I mean, you can go to law school with any type of undergraduate degree, uh, but journalism would be good because, you know, it creates that foundation of reading and writing papers and doing research and those things without technically being pre-law. Um, but, you know, took the LSAT, you know, had my score, wasn't truly happy with it, applied to a couple of schools, was waitlisted, ultimately didn't get in. And I took that as a sign that, all right, well, I'm going to save my money and I'm going to move to L.A. And that's when I booked East Lowe's High. So I figured that that was my answer. (laughs) That's exactly right. There's a lot to dig into there. I couldn't help but think about the fact that um, Kim Kardashian has sort of transitioned into being a lawyer. And and it just jumped out at me like this is probably going to be a thing that uh, a lot of people want to do because it's a copycat (laughs) Oh, <laughs> kind of world sure. in, in, sure. in, in business. It's, it's very interesting. Um, so, who, so who knows, but I, I would say you picked the right path because you seem <laughs> to have um, a four leaf clover uh, in your back pocket, just because you think about sort of replying to a newspaper ad, you sing, I think you sang happy birthday to win the role for Barney, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. They had a huge Barney plush doll and there were, there was a row of just, you know, producers and, and directors from the show. And I was told to sing happy birthday and it crossed my mind. Like, this is weird. Why do I have to do that? But I did it. And yeah, <laughs> right. Happy birthday. <laughs> right. And then with East Lowe's high, you mm-hmm. talk about again, being, you know, that op, uh, opportunity and preparation mixing yeah. and like being so lucky. I mean, this is such a competitive field. I mean, yeah. being an actress and actor like this is this is no joke. Yeah. Uh, the and idea even, that that you would audition for every part but Sessie and then get Sessie. just about to say that. Yes. Every role, every single female role in season one, but Sessie and I, I didn't even book Sessie initially. Um, I, so, you know, when so much time passes, you know, you just think, oh, they ended up going with someone else and I wasn't necessarily going to wait around. We went uh, out of town to visit family and two days into our vacation, I get a direct phone call from the casting director, Blanca Valdez. And, um, she, was offering me the role of Ceci and asking me how soon I could be back in LA because they were already filming. And I was like, Oh, okay. Um, I can be there tomorrow booking a last minute flight to head back to LA. But, you know, talk about luck. They had already, they had cast someone else for the role and, you know, for whatever reason, uh, the opportunity fell through for her. They had already been filming for a week. So then I, I stepped in and took over and um, that that particular character, Ceci, was only supposed to be like a, a B character for the season. Um, but we got such a wonderful viewer response, you know, for, you know, her her story. Um, so many people could relate to it as far as, you know, being being a, a an unwed teen mother, um, you know, in high school and navigating through that whole process, um, that I became a true lead, uh, starting with season two. But I think also it was a moment before that, uh, Danny, if I can, if I can give my opinion, it it was the (laughs) moment in which they revealed that you were the one, your character was the one that filmed the best friend in the backs of the car, because, it gave the it gave the show a more believable villain at the time. Right. right. And because you had to really buy into the fact that the Vanessa character was really this this person and, and could really wield all this power the way she was doing it. But but to have almost this this classic story of, of the of the um, the understudy, so to speak, yeah. which is kind of what your character was to her. uh we see it in stories all across uh, the sort of the span of, of storytelling, but to have that classic story set up and to have you be so believable, it, like to look and, and, and feel and be like someone who could really pull this off. I right. thought that was the moment where like, we want to see this character's art. Like what could make her be so devious? 
like all of her popularity, all of her strength comes from the fact that she's associated with this other character, but yet she's envious of her. Uh, She doesn't, she might not even like her that much, to be honest. Right. Right. So it's, um, it was, it was fun to watch that transition happen for sure. (laughs) I want to go back uh, to, to that, to those years between, I guess it was 97 and, uh, like almost 2000 and what's, uh, eight or nine that you, that you did Barney and friends. And you hear about success stories as well as horror stories, uh, of child actors. Um, what was your experience growing up on television as an actor on, on Barney and friends? I think, you know, the whole production did a really great job of respecting and allowing us to be kids um, you know, at, at that age, you know, your parents are, are heavily involved. Um, but we had, we had an onset teacher, we had a, a child wrangler who, you know, would, would be with us pretty much the entire time. And we were never by ourselves. So we always had at least, uh, three other kids, um, with us. So four kids total, um, because there was always, it always felt like there was a minimum of four. Um, so we just, you know, spent a lot of time together. It was enforced that, you know, we would, uh, complete our homework, um, during our time on set so that, you know, we wouldn't get back to school, uh, behind. Um, I think the only difficult part was spending time away from my, my school friends, because it seemed like, especially as I got older, um, because, you know, you get back to school and you, you've missed out on all of the inside jokes and the field trips that have taken place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people are so used because I was, I went to a very, uh, pretty small school. So the kids that I went to school with in, um, third grade when I started, you know, were the same ones that I was with, uh, up until eighth grade when I ended. Um, so they were pretty, they were pretty accustomed to, me going off for a couple of weeks to do, to film and then coming back and just be like, Oh yeah, Danny's back. Like, okay, no one's excited to see me anymore. That's cool. (laughs) (laughs) So I think part of me actually wanted to be done just because, you know, at that age, it, it was, it was more fun anyway. And I guess I kind of got tired of even just saying like, well, I'm on TV, I'm making money, da, 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 da. Like no one, truly no one cared. (laughs) So it was just, um, I, I appreciated the experience and you know, it, it's still, it's something that will forever live with me. Um, but yeah, I, I, the transition for me wasn't, as difficult or even the process wasn't as difficult as I've heard of other child actors. Um, but yeah, it was still, still something that stuck out to me, how my friends would treat me when I get back to school. (laughs) Yeah. I've heard these, I've heard these wonderful stories about how that cast and crew were on set and that it was just so unique and uh, actually an environment that was, um, influenced by the content that you were putting out into the world. And so exactly. uh, it's, it's a really fascinating take on the social sciences of, of it all in, in, a, in a certain way. But yeah. the reason I asked you the question is because um, I've spent the last week uh, in the world uh, of Danielle Vega. Oh, my goodness. I have. <laughs> so so just, just to be honest, I, <laughs> I have watched everything you've done. I have, um, wow. this can get, this might sound creepy, but it's not, it's, 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 it's part of the job people. Uh, and I, and, and I'm on YouTube and when I peruse comments about you, yeah, people absolutely love you. They are nostalgic about you. Yeah. They have, you, you have influenced countless people's childhood in a way that is immeasurable. And, there has to be a moment there where you're like five years in where you start to recognize the fact that you are to a degree a bit famous, especially with those in your age group. So, um, how did you, how did you deal with the fame and notoriety? I, as a child, it wasn't, I, I didn't get recognized that often. So I think that, um, 
because even when it happens now, I just get, I turn completely red and I'm just like, wait, but what do you recognize me from? Because it's almost, I'm in a state of disbelief, you know? Um, but I would, I would get fan mail. Um, and that was always a big deal to me personally, just like, do we get anything else? Because I love to, I love to hear what people wrote about Kim and about the show. And that really touched my heart. It still does now, even when I, you know, have people reach out to me through social media. Um, but I, it never went to my head. I think, you know, it, it just, it always just, it always just felt like I was, I was doing something right. And I was doing something good and that I was on the right track because that truly is, is what acting is to me. It is an expression and something that I am good at. And I feel that I was meant to do, but that is just the, the icing on the cake. And it just, I, yeah, I, I, it wasn't really anything that I had to navigate around, to be honest. It, it never felt like a, it never made me feel like I was that big of a deal, but really just that I was, I was getting recognized for something that I was doing and it felt good. You mentioned, uh, taking care of your three-year-old child, Sebastian. Yes. <laughs> and, um, I'm wondering what advice you would give him if he decided he wanted to act and, and do you want him to go into acting? I wouldn't mind. I think um, it would open up my eyes to a lot of or, you know, a big part of the industry that um, that I typically haven't haven't uh, opened my own eyes to even being in it as an actress, um, because I feel like it's a completely different world when you're trying to make sure that that your child is protected during mm-hmm. this process, because ultimately I know how um how dirty it can be. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell him no. Uh, I would want him to get his feet wet and do smaller projects. Um, and I would, my advice to him would just be like, just telling him that you have to have tough skin. You're going to hear no more than yes. And you have to be okay with that. You have to know that as long as you are doing everything that you can do, which means showing up prepared, going to class when you're not working, you know, doing your due diligence and knowing the industry um, that you are pursuing, then ultimately it's not in your hands anymore. After you're done with that audition, you have to leave it up to the powers that be. And if you book it, you book it. If you don't, on to the next. Um, because I think that's that's where a lot of young actors, they get in their feelings. You know, I've, I've been doing this. I've gone on so many auditions. Why don't they like me? Why don't they like me? The truth is not everyone is going to like you. And sometimes it's it's not you. Um they they could have they could have offers out to other people or, you know, one of the producers could want to give the role to their kid. And they're just going through the process of seeing other actors so that they can say that they have. Um, but, yeah, as long as as long as you're OK with with hearing no more than yes, but realizing that if this is what you feel like you're meant to do and you're OK with still pursuing it, even though there is a slim chance that you are truly ever going to make it into that 1%, um, then yeah, we'll do it. But you still have to get your college degree. (laughs) (laughs) You're still going to school. (laughs) I I, I love it. And we're going to get into that a little bit here. I know you went to SMU (laughs) and I, uh, I want to touch on that a little bit, but one thing, um, I noticed the more I prepared for this interview is, we had all these striking things in common and I kind of want to go through a a few of them. And by the way, thank you for that. Um, that was really good advice. I think everybody can take something from that for sure. Um, the first thing is we both know Chris green, the actor, Chris green, life of an actor, (laughs) shout out to Chris green. Uh, hello, if you're listening, uh, how do you know Chris? So we recently worked on a film, uh, last year, uh, Gosh, when we signed up to work on it, it was called Invasion. Now it they've changed the title. Um, but we worked on that back in November. So I actually met him on his birthday. Um, that was our first day of filming. Um, we were we played husband and wife, and we've been friends ever since. 
<laughs> is, there any, is there anything that uh, stood out to you about his acting style? He's, it, it comes so naturally to him. And even as far as, you know, he hates, he hates it when you say, you know, memorizing lines because he's like, you can't memorize it. You can't memorize it. I'm like, well, what else am I supposed to say? Um, (laughs) (laughs) but he, he makes it part of himself. And I think that, you know, that's something that every actor can take away because you have to you have to find yourself in every role. And it seems like such a natural process for him. He was so easy to work with, you know, very professional, great attitude every day. And um, I think that in itself, I mean, all of those things are takeaways that anyone can incorporate into their own repertoire. Yeah, I agree. And uh, for those out there listening, if you want to hear the Chris Green interviews, uh, there's a couple of them out there. And one was uh, directly after the murder of George Floyd. And and Chris uh, gives his thoughts on that. So I think it's definitely a worthwhile listen. The the second thing we have in common is we're both biracial. Oh, yeah. And I think uh, pretty similar as well. Uh, My mom is black and my dad is French and German. I still okay. have uh, family in Germany that we visit, oh, um, right? Yeah, in West Germany. And I read this quote you have, which is, I grew to hate it when people asked me, what are you mm-hmm. or what's your background? Mm-hmm. And you work through that. I certainly get that question a lot when, when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, I, I want, talk to us about that quote and, and how you got through it, because I think what what those who aren't biracial don't understand is, is it's, it's, it's very difficult to be put in a position to pick one or the other when you yep. grew up with both in your house and they have both like both races in your house and they have both had sort of this indelible uh, impact on your personality, on your belief system, on your life. Yeah. And it's not as simple as saying, well, the cops see me as black or the cops see me as uh, cops would always think I was Puerto Rican uh, oh, or the no. cops see me as Puerto Rican. So therefore I should represent that. Um, right. It's 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 a it's a more complex question. Than that. So, yeah. Talk to me about this quote you had and, and uh, how you work through it. Yeah, I know. I mean, ever since I was I was little, I remember becoming fully aware of it when I was, I mean, in middle school, um, I would often get the question like, what are you? And I never understood that I needed to be offended by that question until it kept happening and until I really brought it up to my mom. My mom is also mixed. My grandfather uh, was black. My grandmother was mixed with Spaniard and Cherokee Indian. And my, my dad is white. Um, and it's, she, she was like, I was like, I don't know how I'm supposed to respond to that. Are they asking like what my background is? And she was like, well, that's what they're trying to get at. But how you should respond is by telling them that you're human. (laughs) (laughs) So that's ultimately what I did. Sometimes I would mess with people and say, you know, I'm an alien. What are you, <laughs> you know? And it's just like, cause people don't get that. How they're asking that question is, is very offensive. Like, what are you? Are you serious? Um, so yeah, I did grow to hate that question. Um, but it, I feel like it's just been, I've, I've been navigating through that my entire life. Yes. People thinking that I'm one thing when, you know, I, I happen to be at least four different things, you know? And, I grew up with my mom when we moved to Texas, it was because she remarried. Um, and my stepdad, uh, was full black. So I have two older siblings from my dad's first marriage who are full white. I have an older sister from my mom's first relationship whose father was Creole. So she's mixed. Um, I have, then there was myself. And then from my, my mom's Um, last relationship, I have two younger siblings, um, who look full black. So I don't really look like any of my siblings. And that was always a struggle for me as well, because I never had anyone that, you know, I could, I could at least, you know, have on my team. Um, 
And when I would go out with my brother or sister, especially uh, like if they were younger and I was picking them up from school, I would often get asked if I was the babysitter or the nanny or, you know, when they got older, um, I would, my, my siblings are taller than I am, um, now. (laughs) So with my brother, I, I think people thought that I was his girlfriend and with my sister, they would think that we were just friends hanging out. And so that was always that even to this day has been somewhat of a personal struggle for me. Um, but I love that now, you know, we're media especially is exploring more of the mixed families and the multiracial individuals. Um, I see so much representation, um, from commercials with, you know, with a biracial couple or, you know, a a biracial family being represented. I see it, you know, TV shows mixed ish, you know, blackish, even with, uh, with Tracy Ellis Ross, you know, having, having her background displayed and being called rainbow on top of that. You know what I mean? It's, I see so much more of it. And I feel like all of that is a step in the right direction. I wish that, you know, it had happened a lot sooner. Um, maybe I wouldn't, you know, have been so confused most of my life (laughs) getting into it. Um, but you know, it's just, it's one of those things I'm hoping that because of all of the change that's happening, uh, even, you know, my son, like, like, you know, you asked if, if he chooses to go into the acting world, he won't have to deal with half of the stuff that I went through just from people not being able to figure out what I am or what my background is. Um, one of the stories that, that I, I don't really share too often, but I remember when I was on the show of when I was on the Barney show that, um, we had gone into the props department, the art, art and props department. And we were looking around at different things, just talking uh, to the heads of that department. And they shared with us, you know, some of the descriptions that they have to work with, you know, just in the event that our characters are going to be featured in any of the shows. And, um, the description that they had for Kim was that my name was Kim Brown and I was adopted. And thinking about that now, I wonder if it was because they didn't know how to cast a family that people would understand. Um, you know what I mean? Um, there was, there was an episode where I had my grandparents on, on the show, not mine personally, but you know, actors to represent, uh, Kim's grandparents. And they were, they were full black individuals and they were named Mima and pop pop and, uh, Mima could double Dutch. So, um, (laughs) they never got into the, the background of being adopted, which I thought, you know, would have been something nice to explore. Um, just, you know, from a standpoint of, uh, kids watching if, if that was their situation. Um, but I always thought that was interesting that they gave that description for Kim and wondered if it was because I was mixed. Yeah. It's fascinating because I know that some of the premise of, of Barney is this idea of unconditional love, this idea of no matter where people come from, you have to love them. And it would be very easy to say, well, that's why they made you adopted. But when you look at it from a, from an adult lens and the zeitgeist of the time, you also could think, well, wait a second. And, and, and the interesting thing about that is, is that's the general plight of uh, a person of color, by the way, mm. in just general society in all fields, which is something happens and you have to think to yourself for a second, did that happen because I wasn't good enough or right. because I didn't do something? Or did that happen because I was black? Or did that happen because I was Jewish or did that happen because I was, you name it. Right. So that's, it's interesting. I I just want to thank you for that. was, um, that was spot on, uh, to my experience and Mm. the whole question of what are you, I always got that from black people where I grew up. I know it's different everywhere, but white people never asked me that, but I came to realize that that is a question of trust. So Mm -hmm. they're coming to you and they're asking you, what are you? If you're black like me, then I can tell you my secrets. 
I can tell you something about me. I can tell you something. I'm not going to open up to you if you're not part of a club that I'm accustomed to and I can trust. Right. Right. Same thing. It's almost, it was almost as if, wait a second, you were going to talk a certain way if, if I told you I was white. Yeah. Yeah. But now that you know, I'm not, you're going to talk a little different. You're going to, you're going to withhold something from me that I shouldn't hear with my background and it goes and it cuts both ways. Yep. Um, anyway, that was just a, a thought, uh, uh, going through, um, what you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, and we could have a whole episode about that, by the way. Uh, the third thing we have in common is, is that we both, um, are in the entertainment business, but we have journalism degrees. And so, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I am also a a, a journalism major. I double majored at journalism and marketing. Um, I decided not to go into it and pursue it after college. I'd done some internships. I'd, I'd done some online publications. I was writing for a magazine, uh, that's now defunct called city at night. And, um, the one thing that really got to me was that I would write a piece. It would be heavily edited, Mm. uh, meaning like, like not just grammar grammatically. Right. Right. But they would still put my name at the byline. Oh my gosh. Right. So, so I had to uh, stand up for this thing that I didn't write or, um, or my true voice was kind of muted. And I said, you know what? I have the degree. I'm a good writer. I can always go back to this. Right. Um, let's pursue it. So I'm curious for you, was it more of a thing of, of, um, uh, was journalism like a like the solid plan B, like, hey, go to school, get a degree in something that you can fall back on? Or was it something you were truly considering and then said, no, acting's my passion. I'm going to move to L.A. Yeah, definitely the latter. I. Um, my mom is an educator. My dad is an educator. So I pretty much realized that I was going to go to college and get some sort of degree. Um I chose journalism because like, I mean, initially I was thinking about law school um, and I felt that, you know, it was also with a broadcast focus that I could utilize some of the techniques that I was learning, you know, between acting and the writing and research aspect, you know, would go towards uh, my law um, experience if I chose to pursue that, um, that was, that was honestly it. I did do some internships as well, uh, for one was for a show called D210 television. I was one of their reporters, um, and they mainly covered entertainment and sports related events. I believe now, uh, they've changed it. So they're purely just focusing on, um, sports. Uh, but, I was also, um, I did an internship at one of the local news stations, um, for some time. And then I was an editor at, uh, the Southwest airlines, uh, magazine. Um, they were located in, in Texas as well. Uh-huh. So I, I spent some time there. Um, but that was it. I, it was never really something that I got truly excited about. Um, one of my sorority sisters actually went on to, um, pursue it full time, uh, after she graduated and she's still, she's still, you know, in the game now in new Orleans. Um, and I have to give it up to her because when one, one, when I realized how much money you were making, um, at, you know, just out the gate, I was like, how am I supposed to live off of that? (laughs) (laughs) Not that, not that you live off much as an actress uh, or as an actor in general at first. Um, It all takes a while, but to, to do something that I wasn't purely passionate about and to realize that I was only going to get pennies for it initially, I just, I, I wanted to put all of my focus into acting and spend my time there. Yeah, I I think that I think you made a wise move. And you're right. I mean, it could be the thing about uh, acting is, is uh, it's feast or famine, but at least it's feast early on in journalism. It's never feast. 
No, no, <laughs> it's, it's not. Like, <laughs> you know, it's steady. It's it's steady low, right? Like, yes. And, and, and then depending on what your role is in the in the project as an actress, uh, you can be have a producing points back in residuals. Like, there's yeah. different ways to get paid off of it. That that kind of snowball on top of it, paid appearances, etc. So. Yeah. I, I definitely and plus we get to we're, we're blessed with your talent and and uh, to see you on screen. So, again, I think you made uh, I think you made the right choice. Um, you were nominated for an Emmy. That's incredible uh, for, for your role. Again, we mentioned in in Hulu's East Los High. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the, but the character is is is. Um, it's a Latin character. So it's a, it's it's almost like a. Um, a, a Latin version of, of Nano 210 in its own way. Right. Exactly. Yep. That's and, how I describe it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, and some, like, do you feel typecast because you had success as this Latin culture character? You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're arguably your greatest um, critical success. Right. Uh, or, or is it a, a thing where you now feel a responsibility to the Latin culture to go after Latin characters when you audition? I think it's a bit of both, to be honest. Um, again, always being fully aware of my mixedness. Um, I, I never wanted to be put into a box. Um, that was something that I always wanted to avoid, but I also realized that with acting, I mean, before I moved to LA when I was younger, uh, my agent in Texas, uh, would send me out for just about everything. So I, I would, I would get the, the auditions for that were looking specifically for a black girl. And I would go into the waiting room and see, you know, other women who were more obviously black and they would be looking at me like, what is this girl doing here? Um, so that was always tough. And obviously I, I wouldn't get those roles. They would, you know, like my audition, but then just be like, I'm sorry, you don't, you don't fit the character. Um, when I moved out to LA, the agent that I ended up signing with, he thought that I was full Hispanic. And I told him, I was like, no, I'm mixed. I gave him the background. And, um, he was like, well, out here, no one's going to want to guess what you are. So interesting. Yeah. (laughs) So he said, if, if you want to get in the room, um, these are the auditions that I'm going to send you on. And I was like, okay, um, let's see if this works, you know? Um, so I booked, I booked Ceci and, uh, you know, it, it, it's promoted as an all Latino show, um, which, you know, I will tell people straight up, like even with my background being Spaniard, um, a portion of my background being Spaniard, I'm technically I'm technically not Latina. I'm Hispanic um, or Spaniard. And um, so I I would often correct people. People would often correct me (laughs) and I would just grin and and smile and thank them. Um, But I do I do feel a sense of obligation because the role of Ceci is so relatable to a lot of people within that community. Um, and a lot of people have since, you know, begun to look up to me as, as a, as a voice, um, which, which is, there's a lot of pressure associated with that, but I don't want to forget who I am either. Um, so it is important to me to have the representation that I feel best reflects me as a person. Um, but I know that as an actress, you know, we, we are chameleons. Um, and, and we ultimately just do the best we can with the roles that we're presented. Yeah. It reminds me so much of my, uh, middle sister's experience, uh, which was that, uh, she, grew up, you know, if you, if you, if you have a black mom in your house, your house is a, is a matriarchy, right? Yes. <laughs> and, and so she has this black experience. And then when she went to, you know, whenever she would be in black groups, she was a little bit too white for the, for the black girls. Mm-hmm. Hair was a little bit too good. All that good stuff. They, all that old stuff they say. Mm-hmm. And then if she'd be in a group of white friends, uh, she was, you know, 
the black girl in the group. So she felt a little outcasted there too. She ended up, <laughs> she ended up finding a place in the middle, but, mm-hmm. um, but this goes back a ways. This, this is about the, the whole brown paper bag test. Do you, do you yeah. know what that is? Oh, I do. I'm an AKA. Yes, I yeah. know. <laughs> right. So, so, so dark skinned black people. And then, you know, they, they have this baked in resentment for light skinned black people based yeah. on that test. And as a culture, certainly on, let's say, the African-American side of our of our culture and our genealogy, you know, as a community, we have to get over that. We have to move. Oh, past seriously. It. It's, a, it's a big problem. It's a huge problem. And it's I mean, not only in America, like you go to different countries and they they have the same beliefs and it's sad. It's like when. I I really don't understand how people just can't accept someone for who they are uh, and versus what they look like and why that even matters. Um, But, yeah, it's something that that I faced growing up, even on the set of East Los High, I was often asked, like, did you grow up in a black neighborhood? <laughs> I guess based on like how I act. And I was like, well, you know, I'm part black, right? Not that, I mean, that should dictate, you know, how I'm supposed to act or anything or where you're coming from with that question. But <laughs> it always tripped me out. Um, but in high school, I, I, so I spent my senior year of high school in LA. I went to um, Hamilton high school in Culver city mm-hmm. and uh, one of, one of, she became my good friend that senior year of high school. I've kind of lost touch with her over the years, but I remember sitting in English class and we had some free time and I had been there for maybe a week at this point. She walks over and she's like, consider it, consider it a blessing that I'm talking to you. And I'm like, Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And she was, she was like, um, do you want to sit with us at lunch? And so I was basically initiated into the black group um, in, in high school that way. But it's it's so funny just how everyone navigates around that and sad at the same time. Um, like my my husband is mixed. My child is mixed. Um, and we get super excited when we encounter other people who look like us. But it's only because what's going through my mind is they'll get it. They'll get it. And that's that's sad. <laughs> it is. And just to let the audience in on the concept that I just brought up um, for yeah. those who don't know the brown paper bag test. It's a test that kind of happened in the black community in the 20th century where a brown paper bag was held up. And if your skin was lighter than the bag, you got more privileges and access than right. if you were darker than the bag that they held up. And this happened in, as you mentioned, sororities and fraternities and even churches. So, yeah. um, so sad. It, it's, it's pretty, pretty wild stuff. Um, what do don't most people know about auditioning for American Idol? Like, is there anything that any secret, like inside stuff that that we wouldn't know just by watching the show or reading about it uh, in that auditioning process when you went through it? Hmm. It's a long process. A lot of people don't know that the the audition that they see on television where you receive the the golden ticket that's like the third audition. Um, the third or fourth audition, actually, there's the initial cattle call cattle call where you are singing. I remember my process. It took place at the old, um, or maybe it was a new one. Anyway, it was Texas stadium and in Dallas and completely like wrapped, wrapped around inside and even outside of the stadium. Finally, you get inside onto the field and there's a line, just a huge line of tables where at least two producers or junior producers are sitting and, you know, you walk up and you sing your song. Um, if they tell you yes, then another producer comes out and he asks you a series of questions. Um, and then you go into this other room where you're sitting at a table and they give you a form to fill out. Uh, you fill that form out. And I remember the last question being what's something that, uh, that makes you stand alone, that differentiates you from everyone else auditioning. So of course I put that I was on Barney and friends because not many people (laughs) can use that. Um, and they, they loved it. Um, so after that, they, you have 
um, they'll feature so many people um, for the show before that, that next audition, which is the one in front of Paula, Randy, Simon. Um, and they would do interviews with some of the people who were there, I guess some that had gained or that they felt would gain some sort of, um, reaction from viewers. And since I had chosen to dress up, um, as a dominatrix, (laughs) I guess they figured that I would get some, uh, some opinions, <laughs> some, some love through that. Um, but yeah. And then I guess they liked the contrast too, which was, you know, the Barney kid dressing up in this, you know, this risque outfit oh, yeah. with, with a whip. Um, but it was very tasteful. Um, it but was. yeah, it was <laughs> but yeah, so it's just, I think that a lot of people don't realize how long the process is before you actually see what's taking place on television. Yeah. And I thought it was a stroke of genius to contrast uh, yourself against your past, but while using your past as leverage to go to the, the next round. So right. c- congrats on that. That was, that, that had to be a blast. Um, it was <laughs> what are the two best pieces of advice you've received so far in your career and who did they come from? Uh, my aunt, I remember when, or my play aunt, I remember when I first moved out to LA, I had expressed, you know, just being so fearful of the move because at this point, you know, I had moved out there for my senior year of high school, but after I graduated, I, I returned back to Texas for college. Um, so going out, as an adult this time, really being on my own, I, I was, I was incredibly nervous and scared. Um, and I remember she sent me a text message saying, you know, I've been praying for you and the Lord really put it on my heart to let you know that you are stronger than you think you are. Um, and that has been something that has always stuck with me in, you know, a multitude of, of, of things that I've faced over the years. Um, you are stronger than you think you are. Um, that's gotten me, you know, to go through with auditions, to, to go into meetings confidently, um, to walk red carpets, to go into the delivery, the the delivery room and, and give birth to my son, (laughs) all of those things. Um, I guess the, the second piece of advice, and this is something that one of, um, a good girlfriend of mine, you know, just repeatedly say to each other all the time is if the worst someone can say is no, why not do it? Mm. So, and that's, that's something that I live by, especially with acting. If you, if you have a story to tell, if you have, you know, something that, that you want to say or do, if the worst somebody can say to you is no, or I don't agree with that, that's wrong then that what are what are what really do you have to lose um so those are those are the two pieces of advices that uh advice that i that i live by on a daily basis (laughs) perfect thank you for that um which creatives do you most admire and want to emulate and what do they do from a technical or skill standpoint that makes their work stand apart oh wow uh Viola Davis comes to mind. Um, I actually had the opportunity of meeting her uh, a couple of years or a few years back at this point. Um, She's so humble and she takes her work seriously. She takes her craft seriously. And but she recognizes it, it recognizes it as something that that is part of her. You know, it's something that she studied. She's worked hard in. um, But she's still humble about it. And I think, you know, I, I admire people who are able to take themselves seriously, take their craft seriously while still showing a sense of humility. Um, because she is a big deal, but the fact that, you know, she would treat the janitor the same way as a CEO is amazing. Um, because you don't find that a lot, especially, um, I think nowadays with, with younger, um, actors who get into the game and they start feeling themselves a little too much. Um, so I, I try to keep, to keep that in mind. She's, she's definitely someone that, that I admire. I admire her work. Um, as well as, I mean, Meryl Streep is on my list as well. Um, 
something I've listened to a few of her interviews and she's always said that you have to find yourself in every character and it should be an extension of you. You're not creating someone completely different than yourself because ultimately that's going to be a lie. You have to find yourself in each character uh, for it to be believable, not only to the audience, but to you. Um, and the work that they've done, the the movies and the, the shows, um, you have to be selective. And I think a lot of times we forget that as um, aspiring actors or new actors, um, because we just want we just want to work. We just want to get in the game. And uh, but you still have to make sure that the roles that you're taking are are not going to contradict who you are as a person. And, you know, ultimately that they're not something that you're you're going to regret later on. Um, so those two women, for sure, there I'm sure there are so many others uh, that, you know, I'm, I'm forgetting to name or, you know, just don't want to take up too much time with naming all of them. Um, but there are some men on there, too. But I think, you know, women definitely need that recognition. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And, you know, speaking of, of women that are great uh, actors and actresses, um, I don't want to squander having a Emmy nominated actress on our podcast. So <laughs> if you had one month to teach someone how to act, what are the first three things you would teach them? So this is someone who's net new to acting, but mm-hmm. they have to be competent uh, for right. a role they got cast in. Right. So maybe you, f- maybe it's a TikTok influencer that just got a movie role. <laughs> you have one month to teach them how to act. What are the first three things you would teach them? I my, my background is in Meisner. So I would pull on the Meisner technique, um, a bit and really just, just get them to the point where they can use their imagination. Um, I'd want to record it so that they can watch themselves back. Um, and possibly do scenes where we can have a reference, um, even if it's, you know, something well known so that they can one take, take away from the, the actual performance and then see what, what they've presented and if they would believe their own performance. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so just really doing that and and helping them to build their confidence and, you know, maybe in, gosh, it's only a month. So inviting, (laughs) inviting family and friends, uh, to watch their performances and sometimes strangers. So my family and friends to watch them, um, people that they don't know so that they can get into the habit of performing, because even if you're on set, I mean, yeah, it's not like a play, but you're still going to have the camera crew there. You're going to have the director, the producers possibly watching you throughout this process. You're not going to be alone. Um, so you have to be confident with the choices that you're making and as well as, you know, having, having everything, uh, being completely off book and knowing exactly what you're doing while still being professional. So if I have this straight step one, study Meisner, Step, step, step two, put yourself on film so you can watch yourself back, which is, which is a similar experience I've had, which is I learned how to dance by dancing badly in, in a mirror. And once I could see how goofy I looked in the mirror, like doing like Elaine Bennis, tiny kicks, I was like, Hey, okay. The tiny kicks have to go. I have to do something else and dancing in front of a mirror. So this is, this is a life hack that I've literally had work on myself. So I'm very confident saying it. If you, (laughs) if you're, if you're an underwhelming dancer and you want to, let's say two X, three X, even up to 10 X, your dancing ability Mm -hmm. by body length mirror. Now I know you're a great dancer, but for those listening by body length mirror and dance in front of it every day. And you, yep. you will improve dramatically. This is and probably why they have mirrors in, in the dance dance classrooms. Yes, yes. Because yes. you, can, you see, can see yourself. <laughs> you can see do you do you see do you see yourself right now? Stop doing that. <laughs> it's like the physical version of when someone says, Do you even hear yourself when you talk? Yeah. Uh, what do you know what you just said? Um and the, the third thing is, is, is bringing in people that love you and are going to be honest with you, give good advice. Um, exactly. You made that sound so much more eloquent. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> hey, no problem. No problem. I like, I, I like the detail and the meta. So I like your answer better. Oh, thank um, you. 
a recent a recent quote of yours uh, mm-hmm. says, "If you are a giver, remember your limits because the takers don't have any." And this stuck out to me because I am a giver. And what is what 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 drove you to to put that out on social and to say that? And um, what energy was it? What was there anything specific, or was there a moment for you? That, that made you think about this? Can, can you speak to it at all? Yeah, I, I, a lot of, I feel like a lot of creatives go through these periods where, you know, we realize that we are giving a lot of ourselves to other people, whether, you know, it's, it's our time, it's our, our ears, you know, listening to, you know, other people tell us about, you know, their, their struggles and their woes. Um, and I know for myself, especially as a mom, um, a lot of times we forget that we have to have, we have to be a little selfish sometimes and, and put ourselves first, um, to just give ourselves that self-love that, that time that we need to recharge and get back to a place where we can, we can be in that position where we can help others. Um, But in saying that, you know, you still have to be careful of who you give of yourself, you know, to, um, because a lot of times other, other people are not going to reciprocate. They're just going to always be that person that's, oh my gosh, let me tell you what's happening now. And they're always going to come with something that you're, that, that essentially is going to start draining you, um, and you have to be mindful of that. And I think as, as I've gotten older, I've just realized, you know, the type of people that I want in my life and the people that I don't. And I, I am okay with, with having a limited group of, of friends and being more selective than, you know, allowing, allowing my, my self love, you know, to, to be in question because I'm giving more of myself to others than I am of my, than I am to me. I love that. Thank you so much for that. And you, you've been so awesome and fun to talk to. Uh, what's, what's, what's next on your journey? Are you, are you still writing the short film? Is that complete? Um, what's, what's around the corner for you? Uh, I, I am still working, uh, on the short film. I'm actually going to, well, I'm teaming up with a girlfriend of mine. She and I did, um, a short film, um, about a year ago now. And we've decided to go, uh, called addict. And we decided to go in on, um, on this short together. Uh, we're hoping to get it done. Uh, well, by the end of this month (laughs) and really get the ball going on when we're going to, um, get the production started. Um, but it deals with something close to my heart, which is postpartum depression. And, um, we're hoping, you know, just because it's something that a lot of, a lot of people are still wary of talking about. Um, so just shedding some light on it being something that women do go through a lot more than, um, than we think and, uh, just how to navigate through it. Yeah. I'm excited to see how it turns out and see how the, the two of you position that problem. Cause yeah. that's, that's really what it comes down to. If you want to get that message across, right. um, making it relatable. So, um, yeah. I'm excited to see how that turns out. Um, Danny, it's, this has been great. As I mentioned, um, you're so fun to talk to. I could keep going forever, but, um, <laughs> All good things must come to an end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where can everyone find you on social media and, and on the internet and maybe even see some of your work? Yeah, I am all over social media. So I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, all at the Miss Danny V, T H E M S D A N I V. Um, I'm also on Snapchat and TikTok, although I don't post that often, to be honest. Um, <laughs> and I do, uh, have my website, which is the Vega.com. Um, and I try to keep that updated as much as I can. 
Absolutely. And of course, you can watch back episodes of Barney if you want to see her uh, early uh, beginnings. And uh, mm-hmm. I do, but I but I recommend checking her out on Hulu's East Los High, which you can mm-hmm. see on Hulu right now if you want to as well. And uh, we'll end on this. When I was a kid, there's there's this home video of me when I was about four years old. I'm wearing those like Daisy Dukes kids would wear in the 80s. Yeah. And I'm singing Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. And I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm so young. I only know the one line, the Born in the USA. I'm singing it over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, are there any videos of you dancing and singing to Janet Jackson? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Um, somewhere at my dad's, I believe, but yes, there was a video. Um, I believe I was four at the time and I was at school or, um, at daycare or something to that effect. And whoever was filming, I think it might've been my cousin. Um, but they asked, Danny, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, um, I want to, I want to be like Janet Jackson. And they told me to sing a song. Um, and instead of singing something by Janet, I, I started singing sensitivity by Ralph. Yeah, Ralph yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in my defense, he's actually my second cousin. So right. I love I, Ralph T. Yeah. Right. He's great. So I started singing sensitivity. I have to find that video. I have to ask my dad where it is, but yeah, there's, there's that. I don't know if you want me to sing it, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> you can sing it if you want to. <laughs> oh my god, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. <laughs> but but yeah, I um I love Ralph Ralph Tresvant, and I can see how Janet would actually relate to Ralph. Ralph had that very smooth but soft voice, yeah. and he was like the ladies' man of yep. of without being a player kind of thing, like of new edition, right. in my opinion, you had Bobby who was like the ladies band player of the group. Yeah. And you had Ralph T who was like you said, sensitive. And, yeah. um, <laughs> it's funny cause, cause that's, I emulated all of my game, whatever existed, whatever I had <laughs> as a young teenager, full of hormones. Like I'm going to be the Ralph Tresvant version <laughs> Of that horny teenager. That's what I'm going right. to do. Oh. <laughs> I feel like pictures would say a thousand words. <laughs> they absolutely would. <laughs> they might even cause a, a thousand stomach aches as well. Oh, but <laughs> uh, this is great day. This is so much fun. I hope we yeah. can get a round two session uh, soon and okay. I'll uh, keep a lookout uh, for all your work. And, and for those listening, please do. Follow Danielle Vega everywhere she's at, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, and online. Go watch her show on Hulu. It's, again, it's called East Los High. Uh, You can't miss it if you go and search for that. And I would wish you luck, but I I know you don't need it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I I hope to talk soon, and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk again, see each other in the world of entertainment once this pandemic's over. Yes, fingers crossed. Let's make it happen. (laughs) Absolutely. Talk soon. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Book Us to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.